Just to let you know, my name is Chad Cruiser. My wife is Fadia Cruiser. We have been sharing in this restoration series here, and it's been a real blessing so far. My wife and I, we have a ministry called Anchor Point Films. We produce documentaries. We go around to archaeologists, historians, theologians, scholars, health professionals, and we make documentaries both about the Bible, about history, and we're making a health documentary presently, which should be done soon. And we've been traveling around for years. I've been traveling around for probably close to 14 years. And we live full-time in a motorhome. And it's in here in Loma Linda. So we live in Loma Linda for the next few weeks. And then we'll move on to the next place we go. Um, and it's a real blessing. And I've been super blessed to be a part of these meetings here. We are going to be going on every day this coming week, every weekday that is, Monday through Friday, and we'll be here again next Sabbath. Uh, to let you know, Monday we have one at noon at the Randall Amphitheater, and that message in particular is called Sexuality, Pornography, and Purity. We're going to look at the science behind some of these things. We're going to look at some of the spiritual aspects. We're even going to look at what happens in the brains of individuals as they become addicts of pornography. It is amazing to see what happens in the human brain. This is probably the most prominent uh, addiction in society today in the Western world. Then we're going to come back in the evening right here. So Randall Amphitheater at noon every day of the week. And then at 7 o'clock right here at the Campus Hill Church. And that evening we're going to be looking at overcoming the temptations we all struggle with. That'll be right here, 7 o'clock Monday. And then this message right now is entitled Victory in the Brain. Victory in the Brain. We're going to be talking a bit about the brain this morning. But before we do, I just ask that you would bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for the opportunity to share, Father. And the reality is, is we desperately need Jesus. We need a deeper experience with Him. And Father, we need Your Holy Spirit to do that which we cannot do. We cannot change ourselves. We can't make ourselves naturally better in some capacity. We need a supernatural influence to change us. And so I'm pleading with You that Your Holy Spirit would rain down just now. Father, we're living too late in earth's history for us to come to a service like this and just leave the same person that came. So I'm praying that Your Spirit would touch my mind and my mouth, that it would only speak that which is glorifying to Jesus, and that You would pierce hearts as You alone can do with Your Holy Spirit. We plead this and ask for this not because of our worthiness, but because of Yours, and we plead this because of our great need, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am fascinated with science. I love to look around and learn new things. I like to study. And whether it's things in health science I'm fascinating with, I love to learn about the science of health. And one of the last frontiers of science is really understanding more and more about the brain. How does the brain work? And really, we're, we are just on the edge of discovering. We really don't know tons about it, but we're learning more and more every year. Scientists are discovering more and more. And there was an idea formerly that taught simply that the brain at a certain age, as you would get older, obviously the brain grows and, and so forth. But when you got to a certain age, basically your brain became fixed. It just kind of it, it stopped at that point and that was about the end of it. And you couldn't change. If you were born a certain way, 
that would probably be, well, that's just something you got to live with. That's who you are. Don't deny yourself. That's just who you are. And this idea that the brain was fixed is, has become the antiquated idea. Now, we realize through several different, many different experiments that the brain actually can be changed. One experiment that was done uh, was looking at the minds of people, the brains of people who were teachers of blind children in Spain. They took these teachers, and what they did is they did something very interesting. They wanted to give these teachers an experience of what it is like to be blind. Now, there's different kinds of blindness. There's legally blind, where you can still see a little bit, and then there's, there's a, you know, I have a friend who's legally blind, and he has extreme tunnel vision, so he's called blind, but he can still see light, and he can still actually read a computer screen, but his eyes shake and so forth. That's a form of blindness, but when you think of total blindness, somebody who's totally blind has no idea what light or dark is like. They have no idea. It doesn't even register because they've never experienced that. And so what they wanted to try to do is give an, an idea to these teachers of what it is like to be absolutely, utterly blind. And so what they did is they covered their eyes, not just with a simple blindfold, because now my eyes are closed, but I can tell it's brighter up here because there's lights up there, and I can tell it's darker down here even though my eyes are closed. The light's still pen penetrating my eyelids, making it to the retina and going back to the rear portion of the brain, the occipital lobe. And so I can still see that. So they wanted to give them the experience of no light whatsoever, so they completely covered their eyes so dense and so dark that no information, no stimuli was coming into the back of the brain. Well, what ended up happening is very rapidly, within days, they began to have a, a heightened sense of hearing. Very interesting. Now, the portion of the brain that we typically, it's more complex than this, but to make it simple, typically we think of the information going to the rear portion of the brain, the occipital lobe, or the portion of the brain that has to do with sight. And what happened was, that portion of the brain wasn't receiving any information, any whatsoever. So you think, well, then maybe it just went dormant. But actually what happened is, within just a couple days, just with two, within two days, something happened. The information that took place from the tactile sense, that means the sense of touch or feeling, began to be relayed to the occipital lobe. And also the sense of hearing also began to be relayed to the occipital lobe. And so this idea that the brain was, is just stuck as it is, is not true. The brain can actually be changed. The brain can be transformed. They did another study that also gives us some more insight into plasticity. And this study was done in London. How many of you have ever been to London? Man, a good amount of you. Now, London, if you remember, the streets of London are different than places like New York City. Has anybody ever been to New York City? Now, in New York City, the streets are parallel and perpendicular. They're very simple. I mean, it's not that complex to figure something out. If you know it's on this street and this street, it's a grid, you can simply figure it out. But in London, it's different because it's, it's more of an ancient city. And being that they didn't plan it all out, it just became what it was. And the streets are curvy and there's not a lot of logic to them. I've had an opportunity to be to both cities or to travel to both cities. And now what they discovered was in order to become a cab driver in London, a cabbie in London, you have to take a particular test to prove that you can navigate the road system there in London. They want to make sure that you can do this before you become a cab driver. So they have to take this test, which they have to be quite proficient with the road workings there in London, in that great city. And so 
it, it takes a lot of thinking. In, in essence, they have to have kind of a mental map. And in your brain, part of your brain that has to do with memory and spatial ability is something called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus has different functions, and some of which, like the, a portion of the left hippocampus, has to do with your linguistic ability, your memory for language and so forth. A portion of the right side has to do with your ability to remember spatial things, things maybe like maps and be able to understand a road working, a road system. And so they ended up doing scans of the brains of London cab drivers, and what they discovered was very fascinating. They discovered that London cab drivers had physically larger hippocampi than your average individuals in the world. Now, we could account for this by one of either two different things. Either these individuals were born destined to become cab drivers in London, (laughs) or they were what they were thinking about actually changed the physiology, the physical structure of their brain. And obviously it is the second of those two options, right? What we think about can actually change our brains. We are not stuck, the people we were born. We can be changed. We are talking about the brain this morning and There is an aspect about it that is physiology, but there is also a spiritual component to this transformation that God wants to do. He wants to work a miracle within our lives. And Paul gives us kind of a recipe, I believe, and I don't even know that he intended it, but there is a recipe for being transformed in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians. We're looking into Ephesians chapter 4. And the most important part of the equation begins in verse 21. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. When you're there, would you please say amen? Amen. All right, let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 says, If so be, we're kind of starting really mid-sentence, but we're we're going to find something here. He says, if so be that you have heard him, if you have heard Christ, and have been taught by him as the truth is in what? Jesus. The first part of our equation that Paul talks about in being transformed, in becoming a new creature, in being totally changed in our minds, is to learn from who? Jesus. That we would learn from Jesus. We need to be taught of Jesus and we need to know the truth as it is in Jesus. That He's the center of everything in our lives. That Jesus is what we look for. Jesus is our greatest desire and passion. The thing that we think about when we wake up in the morning. We need to learn from Jesus. This is the key to all things in our spiritual life. That Jesus becomes the center. That we know the truth, but the truth without Jesus can be dead and lifeless. Is that true? Outside of Christ, the truth can be an ugly thing because we can can teach it in a way that can harm people even. True? But we need the truth as it is in Jesus. We need to gain time. We need to spend time on a daily basis with our Savior. We've been talking about that a bit during the week. Jesus gave all for us. Jesus in His lifestyle, uh, the Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus had a connection daily with this Heavenly Father. We need to learn of Jesus on a day-by-day basis. We need to be changed. 
But then the, then the passage goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says that you put off concerning your former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the, to the deceitful lusts. Paul says that you, you need to put off your former conversation. Now, what does that mean? That's, that's old English there. That word conversation that Paul uses, at least that we read in the English anyway, that word means your lifestyle, your former manner of living. So you put off your old lifestyle. See, many times we discover there are characteristics in our lives that are not right and we want to change them, right? So we just put them off. And Paul says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, the old lifestyle. Put that away. And it says that it has deceitful lusts. Now, the reason they're deceitful is because what happens is when we fall into sin, we believe that those sins are going to bring us some kind of happiness, some kind of joy. But the Bible says that it's actually deceitful. Because they don't really bring us what we were looking for. We don't find peace. We don't find joy. We don't find the happiness that we thought we might somehow acquire as a result of, of grabbing hold of that sin. So he says, put off the old man, which is corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, right? Put off the old lifestyle. Now, the trouble is, sometimes we try to do that. So let's say you have a, a bad characteristic. Could be an addiction. Maybe it's just some negative habit that you have. And maybe it's not something that anybody knows about, but you know that you have it and you struggle with it. And so you just decide, that's it, I'm done. I'm just gonna, I'm never gonna do it again. And so you decide, that's it, I'm done, that's it. And then you, maybe you've had this, I've had it in my life, where I decide I'm, gonna not, I'm not gonna do this thing anymore. And then maybe, you know, I make it a day or two, maybe, maybe a week or a month. And then I fall, you know, face first back into that very same sin. I'll bet I'm not the only person that has experienced that. Because it doesn't end there. If we just try to put off the old man, we just try to change ourselves, that is not enough. Notice what he says there in verse 23. In verse 23 he says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have to have a mind change. Our mind has to be changed in order for us to find true victory. If we just continue down the same path, we say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to quit. I know this is bad for me. This is something I, I don't even enjoy doing anymore totally. But we fall back into it. And Paul says, listen, to the church in Ephesus, he says, listen, you need to, number one, learn from Christ. You need to put off the old lifestyle. But then you need to have a change of mind. Your mind has to be transformed and then notice what happens as a result of having that mind change. It says in verse 24, it says, and that you put on the what? New man. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true what? Holiness. So get the picture. Get the picture. To repeat it again, by way of repetition, repetition deepens impression, that you begin by growing to know Christ, spending time with Him on a daily basis. You can't afford to miss a day. We can't afford to miss a day without Jesus. And so, first of all, we learn of Christ. Then as a result, we recognize, man, there are things in my life that have got to go. I have this old lifestyle that just has to go, so I'm going to let go of it. But I need to be transformed in the spirit of my mind. My mind needs to be transformed. And as a result, I will become a new man. You'll become a new woman, right? God wants to give us this experience where he totally transforms our 
minds. Now, there's a parallel verse that Paul uses, that Paul describes to the, Col- to the church in Colossae. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says almost the same thing as we just read in verse 24. He says, and have put on, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. He says you need to put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. That knowledge is actually transforming. We need the truth as it is in Jesus. And when we begin to discover who Jesus is, when we behold his life, when we look at him there in the four Gospels, when we, when we read about his beautiful character in books like maybe The Desire of Ages, we see what Jesus is like, and as we behold his life, we begin to be changed. But you know what? As we look at the life of Christ, we also begin to learn things about ourselves. Not only do we learn about our own sin and and our own filthiness, but we also begin to discover how much Jesus loves us. We begin to realize the compassion that He has, that He was willing to give up every single thing. And the more we realize our worth in Jesus... Not in my own selfishness and my own pride. Not like that. But we we recognize how much He cares for me. It begins to transform me. It begins to transform all of us. That's what the Bible says. And it says we need to be renewed in knowledge. Knowledge changes us. And we discover in modern science that knowledge actually can physiologically change the human brain. Knowledge can actually change your brain. Now keep in mind, when when they shut off all, all stimuli to the eyes, it did not just shut down portions of the brain. But that brain map area was actually filled. Something took the place of that of that which was taken away. Do you understand? So if you let go of something, something is going to fill that former brain space. If you let go of some sin, something will come back to that area, to that at least general area of the brain. And in the same way, when we are coming to Christ, if we just try to stop doing bad things and we don't become filled with Christ, if we are not filled with His Word, if our thoughts don't ascend to Him, we're going to be filled with something. Is that true? We will be filled with something. Matthew chapter, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43 begins to talk about these, these demons. And what it says, it says, when a man... When a demon leaves an individual, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he decides, I will go back into the house which I came from, that that original individual. You may remember the the illustration Jesus gave. He said, and that demon walks through dry and and solitary places seeking rest and he finds none. And then he says, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is returned, he finds that house empty, swept, and garnished, the Bible says. The individual is empty. They put off the old lifestyle, but they haven't been filled. They haven't been filled with an experience with Jesus. They haven't been filled with an experience with the Word of God. And so it says that the end result of that man is worse than he was in the beginning. We need to learn of Christ. Yes, we need to put off the old lifestyle, but we need to be transformed in our minds and to put on the new man. We need to put on the new man. They did another study, this time with monkeys. And in this particular study, what they did was they took these monkeys, not a very nice study, but they did it, and I'm going to relay it to you. What they did was this. 
They took these monkeys and, and they scanned their brain and looked at the brain mapping of it. They, they discovered, okay, this, I'm just giving you, making up where it was, but imagine this is where right here, ding, 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 it's lighting up as I move my pointer finger. So they're looking at the monkey and they find a, spa- a place that, that fires as they move their pointer finger. And as the monkey moves its middle finger, right next to it, directly next to it, another portion of the brain fires for the middle finger. So those, those two portions, they, they're actually together here, but they're also close to each other, touching in the brain. Well, what they ended up doing was, so they kn- now knew where uh, the, the portion of the brain was that was moving, at least firing when the monkey was moving its fingers, I should say. And what they did was then they went to those monkeys and they sewed their fingers together. Yeah, it's not very nice, is it? But they sew the monkey's fingers together, and now what can happen with those fingers? They can only move together, obviously, right? Those fingers can only move together. Well, what ended up happening is, so you have these two brain areas right next to each other, middle finger, ding, 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 pointer finger, ding, ding, ding. You have them firing separately when each finger moves. But when they can only fire together, what happened is they ended up, they ended up fusing and they became, as it were, one. And so scientists, because they can only move together, scientists came up with a phrase that they say, those things that fire together, wire together. Those things that fire together, wire together. Now, this is interesting in a physiological sense, meaning just for things like fingers, but we can actually see this true in our personal experience too. That there are certain things in our life, for instance, uh, my my mother was a smoker, and my dad, I, I, he wasn't most of my life, but then he started taking up cigars. And so when I was a teenager, my grandfather was over, my uncles were over, the family was over, and they were all smoking cigars together. And so they decided to give me my first cigar. So I smoked my first cigar, and I thought I would never, ever become addicted to anything. I was a strong-willed individual. I could do whatever I want. This was my thought, right? Right? And so I smoked my first cigar, then I got into uh, a number of forms of tobacco, and ultimately I became addicted to tobacco. And I got to the point where any, in any situation, for instance, let's say uh, when I woke up in the morning, it became connected to me that the first thing I needed is a cigarette. When I got in a car, what I needed was a cigarette. If I was, you know, in a stressful situation, the thing that would come to mind was a Cigarette. You could say that what was beginning to happen in my life is those things that were firing together began to wire together. You get the point. And we can have this too in many different ways. People can have this. Maybe uh, your wife says something and immediately it triggers anger. Those things that fire together and wire together. You begin to become connected in those ways. You may have that anytime you go onto the internet, your first thought is pornography. Those things that fire together wire together. A man may see a lady in a short skirt and his first thought is a lustful thought. It could be vice versa, you understand. The point being is that things in our lives become connected and they are physiologically a part of who we are. Sin is physically a part of who you are. It is spiritual also. But it is literally a part of who you are. That's why to say you're denying yourself, that's exactly what you're doing because it's physically who you are. You are actually a sinner. The scientists then, the scientists then come and what they do, it's fascinating, they come to the monkey 
And remember, those two portions of the brain, pointer, uh, middle finger, pointer finger, were fused together, as it were. And what they did is they came in with a scalpel, and they took the scalpel, and they cut apart the two fingers of the monkey. Now those fingers could move independent one from the other. The, the fingers could move independent one from the other. So what happened is those two portions of the brain that had become one, now as a result of cutting it apart, the fingers began to move on their own, and they began to, they went back to being able to fire on their own. And so the scientists came up with another phrase. They said that those things that fire apart, wire apart. These things can actually be separated. Something that is united within you can actually become separated somehow. And sometimes we think, I wish God would just come in and just cut that part of me, just cut it out of my brain, right? Wouldn't that be nice, yes or no? Just say a simple prayer and God just takes all of your temptations away. That would be wonderful. But if he did that, do you think you'd have to pray very often, yes or no? You'd say one prayer, God, take all my temptations away, bam. Well, I could walk through life feeling pretty good, couldn't I? But the reality is, is God knows that we are in absolute, utter need of him and we need a continual connection with him. That what can happen is God can separate the things of the world from us. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Bible says that we need to begin to have the same mind that Jesus has. Because our mind is actually naturally selfish. We want to look out for number one. We want to think about self. We want to think about, listen, what am I going to receive? What will I benefit out of this situation? And the Bible teaches us that we need to have the mind of Christ. That Jesus, though he had everything, all the pleasures of heaven, that he came down for our sake, became a human being, sacrificed himself for the good of others. Jesus became a servant of servants for humanity. Jesus gave all that he is for me and for you. And it says that we need to have the experience that he experienced. Jesus, while he was on earth, also, we talked about it during the meetings already, and this is a popular point anyway, that Jesus, when he was in the, in the wilderness temptation, that as the temptations came, at each time the devil came to him, like it says there in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus clung in his great time of temptation to the word, to the word of God. He said, I live by God's word, not by my own strength, not by my own power. Because John 5.30, Jesus said, he said, I can of my own self do nothing. He was clinging to his father. So anytime temptations came, he, cling, he would cling to the father and see the differences with us. We've already sinned. We've already sinned, so this sin is just a part of who we are. How much more do we need God's Word to replace the temptations that we have? 
God can actually change our brains. See, we have things in our lives. So for me, stress became united with tobacco. That which was firing together had wired together in my life. Getting in the car, I was, that was connected with having a cigarette. Waking up in the morning, that was connected with a cigarette. We can have other addictions that are maybe not even so, you know, uh, politically incorrect as smoking or drinking or drugs. We could just have some kind of sin that nobody knows about, but it becomes so connected to who we are, it's just we are one and the same with this sin. We are so connected with it, we just can't get away from it. But the reality is we, we don't have a scientist who can just come with a scalpel. They could. They could shut off our brains to a degree, but that's not what God wants us to do. He says, come now and let us reason he wants us to use our minds not shut them down he wants to he wants us to let go of the old man and he wants to change our minds he wants to fill the mind with something better so that we can be transformed that we would have the mind of christ that we would have his mind that we would be transformed and so god doesn't use a scalpel to cut away our sin but he does use a sword god uses a sword to cut away our sin the bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the word of God is quick and powerful or the new translation say for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart the power in the Word of God is to discern the thoughts. You can discover who you really are with the Bible. You can be changed. You can be transformed with the Word of God. And what can end up happening is when the temptations come. So I ended up discovering, I went to a Bible seminar. I was still actually chewing tobacco. I would go back and forth between chewing tobacco and smoking cigarettes. I could quit at any time. I would just have to go to the other form of tobacco. Every, every time. You know, I, I could quit the, you know, chew like that, just go back to smoking, right? And many times that's what people do with their addictions. Is that true? They go from one addiction to another. God doesn't want us to just go from one addiction to another. He wants to set us free, and that's what he does. So what ended up happening was, so I learned that Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that Jesus actually wanted me to get the victory. So first of all, I was learning of Christ. And so as you begin to come to the Word of God, it opens your mind to something new. You begin to learn of Christ, then you put off the old man, and then as you spend time in God's Word, your mind becomes changed and you become a new creature. God begins to change your brain. I loved smoking. I don't love it anymore. That's divine change. It's not me. That I tried over and over and over and over and I could not quit smoking. It was a divine transformation that took place. Changes began to take place in my life. I didn't know about all this health stuff. Man, one of the toughest things for me, they told me about clean and unclean meats. And I thought, you crazy vegetarians. <laughs> so I went and just kept on eating my pork. That's what I did. And you know what? The first time I went back and ate it, I got sick. And I thought, ah, no big deal. I went, I went and ate it again. And guess what happened? I got sick again. God, God was, he was being merciful on me and allowing me to suffer the consequences of me doing my thing. But nevertheless, I'll just tell you this. As I began to change, I couldn't do it. But God began to change me and he changed my mind. He began to change my heart. And God wants to bring us to the point. What if you have some temptation that is so a part of you that every time you go on your phone, you're thinking about pornography or your computer, you, it's just a part of you. God wants to separate those things that have become united in you. 
He wants His Word to come to your mind so that you find the victory, so that you are transformed. That you say, Jesus, I can't do it, but you can. And any time the temptation comes, you can remember Scriptures. Scriptures can come to mind. And we think, oh, this is the old idea. Listen, the idea that Jesus had to overcome is the exact way that we need to have to overcome. But I want to tell you this. It is not a magic trick. It is not a magic trick that you just quote a verse and then all temptations just evaporate. It's not a magic trick. Is that true? You ever tried... uh, Anybody ever tried to claim a promise in their entire life? Raise your hand. Okay, several of us. Have you ever tried to claim a promise and you even claim the promise and then you sinned anyway? I have. It's not a magic trick. But how does it work? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, now the context in chapter 3 and into chapter 4 is that the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness. They're being tempted, but they're falling under temptation. And in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached, to the modern Hebrews, and as well as unto them, to the ancient Hebrews. It says, But the word preached did not profit them. The Word of God did not profit the Israelites. Why? How on earth? I thought the Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. But it says that the Word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. When we bring God's Word to Him, we say, Father, You said, You said that You can give the victory. You said that You can change my mind. You said that somehow You have a way of escape in 1 Corinthians 10 13 to make me victorious, Father, and I'm trusting in your promise. It is going to God by faith, trusting, and He can take those things, those great sins that are just connected to who you are, and He can separate them so that you are a new person. Jesus wants to give us a victory. I'm going to share one simple experience of my life. Jesus is calling us to have the same mind. Paul says, listen, you need to have the mind of Jesus. Jesus was always trusting in his Father. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. You say, what do you mean you can do nothing? You're God in the flesh. But the point is, Jesus became a human, and as he was a human, he, if he would have worked miracles for himself, we could all say, look, he could do it because he's God. I can't do it because I'm sinful old Chad. But the point is, Jesus, as he became a man, he actually became a man, and he put off the strengths of divinity and had to suffer through planet Earth just like you have to and just like I have to. Amen? And the whole way through, Jesus was clinging to his heavenly Father, saying, I can of my own self do nothing. I had an experience before I was married, but I was riding with who became my wife, Fadia. She was there with me. Actually, she was driving. And we were going to visit some people. And as we were driving there, and I think it's this way in California also, I was in Oregon at the time. And we don't have this in Michigan. I'm originally from Michigan. And the only time we really worry a bit about driving is if it's, you know, real snowy or icy. If it rains, we don't even think about it. You just drive because it's not really an issue. But I know at least in Oregon, and I think it's probably true here too, that if it hasn't rained for a real long time and it rains, the road becomes extremely slick like ice. Does that happen in California? Now, I would never really experienced that before. My wife was driving, and we're driving down the road. It's a curvy kind of a... Not, not like a rugged mountain, but a curvy road in the hills. And as we're going around these curves, uh, my wife begins to fishtail, and you can feel it, and you realize, uh-oh, it is slick out here. But we're going quite fast. 
And so as we start to fishtail, she tries to correct, but she overcorrects, and we start spinning the other way. And then we start spinning the other way, which was where I was in the passenger seat. And so now our car is going sideways down the road with me, the passenger, you know, kind of the first thing coming toward the accident. Why is that funny? (laughs) So I'm coming toward, and as we're flying down the road sideways, I see this mailbox that looks like a tank. And it's coming right at me. But it's actually not. That was just my perspective, obviously. And so as we're coming toward it, we, uh, I know that it's going to smash right where I am. And so I go like this, and I, I put my elbow up to block the impact. And I still have the scars to prove it as the glass shattered and the glass shot in, you know. And, um, you know, long story short, the airbags deploy and, and smoke arises. And, you know, you, it's such a traumatic experience that you come to and... And it's just smoky in there, and I imagine the car is going to light on fire. And I said, get out of the car! And I jump out of the window because the window's been broken. I jump out of the window, I climb out. It never occurred to me to just open the door and get out. <laughs> Whatever. But So, I jumped out the window, and I'm bleeding. Blood is coming down my head. And uh, my wife, wife now, you know, my, uh, she wasn't even my girlfriend yet, but my friend is there with me. And she's looking at me and blood is like coming seemingly out of my ears. And she looks at me and just starts crying because all this blood looks like maybe I've destroyed my, ruptured my eardrums or something. Praise the Lord, that wasn't the case. The impact for her was so hard, it began to, uh, it had tore her retinas. And so she had to go have laser surgery done on her eyes to try to make some scar tissue to keep it held on. But long story short, after, you know, every, you know, she had bleeding inside of her eyes and she went to the hospital and... I, you know, I'm like, I didn't have any insurance, and I, not thinking that the car insurance would have paid for it, but nevertheless, so I didn't go to the hospital. And why is that funny too, right? <laughs> so, back to my story. I thought about it afterwards. She came out of the hospital. Later on, we brought her to have her eye surgery. But at some point, I asked her, because this, this was my last thought before we smashed before we came to the accident. As I'm going like this and trying to block the impact, the very last words that went through my mind were these. This is going to hurt. (laughs) I remember that. And I thought, how pathetic. If I would have died right there, the last thoughts in my entire life would have been, this is going to hurt. I had a friend uh, in Iceland. I lived in Iceland for a year. Iceland's one of the most atheistic countries in the world. But a friend of mine in Iceland, he worked in, as a sailor in the North Atlantic up there. And if, you, if your ship goes down in the North Atlantic, it's pretty much a death sentence unless somebody's there to just, you know, get you very, very quickly because it's very cold. And he tells me the story that his ship was going down and he knew they were going under. And he said as the water started going up his body, as the ship is going underwater, he said the very last words that went through his head were... I forgot to pay my phone bill. (laughs) How worthless is that, right? Your potential last thoughts on planet Earth are just absolutely and utterly worthless. But when I later thought about my last thoughts of this is going to hurt, they didn't end up being, praise the Lord, my last thoughts, I realized looking back on my life, right after that, I thought I have always trusted in myself in difficult situations. 
In great trials, I remember being younger and having situations where we were in dangerous situations. And, and I always thought of myself, I never ever thought, God help me. I never once thought about that growing up. I always thought about myself and how I could get out of it and, and thought of ways that I could somehow overcome. And so that was just a part of who I was on my own. And it troubled me that I was now even had given my life to God. And yet I still wasn't putting him first in the greatest trials of life. And so what ended up happening, this is no massive testimony. This is just a simple experience in my life. That, so I began to get to know Jesus more. I spent more time in his word. And, I, and you know, day by day, I should say, I was spending time in his word. And, and I was praying and I was getting to know him more. And as I was getting to know Jesus, I can simply tell you that as I pressed forward and he became a part of my thought process, trusting him more day by day, the time has come where I have been in situations where I'm coming into a close call with an accident and the very first thoughts that come to my mind are, Lord, help me. It's not even that great of a testimony. It's just so simple that God wants to bring us to the point where we really, really, really do put Jesus first. God wants us to have that, but it won't happen if we're not spending time daily in his word and being changed by his gospel. We need to be looking at Jesus, spending time. In the times where the temptations come, we can put his word into our minds. We can say, Father, you said there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Father, you said this, I trust you, and I am thanking you, not because I feel it, not because I even sense that I could overcome, but I know I can't, but you can, and I'm trusting by faith in your promises. And as we trust and we cling to our Savior, we begin to have the mind of Jesus, let this mind be in you. Let's bow our heads just now. Maybe there has been an issue in your life, something, something that has been hindering your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's not an addiction like drugs, maybe it is. Maybe it's not tobacco smoking, but maybe it is, either way. Maybe there's some sin you have, maybe nobody knows about it, maybe people do know about it. But Jesus is calling you to a transformed life. God is calling you to have the mind of Jesus. You need to, number one, be spending time in his word. You need, number two, to be, to be clinging to Jesus through prayer and bringing him his promises and saying, Father, I trust you not because I feel it. I'm too weak to even uh, feel that you could change me. But I'm believing it because you promised it and you're more powerful than I. Is there someone here this, this afternoon now where God is calling you, he's saying, listen, you have not been putting me first. You've been putting in your marriage, maybe you're bickering and arguing with your spouse, because really deep down, it is about me first. Or maybe somebody is struggling with some sin, and that sin is, is never bringing you happiness, but God is saying, listen, I want to set you free. This is the day. Come to me. Give me your entire heart. Jesus wants to set us free. Is there someone who is saying, God is calling me to victory and I sense that this morning and while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, you simply want to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I need victory in my life. Would you like to raise your hand just now? Father, you see our hands. We're reaching them out and I know for a fact 
that you, Father, are reaching down to us just now. That your hand is reaching down saying, I know you can't even stand up on your own. You can't find the victory on your own. And the Father is saying, listen, I want to lift you up. Just like a loving parent lifts up their child that has fallen down. Father, I pray that you would give us the victory. I pray that Jesus would become the central theme of our life. Yes, we can be the person you've called us to be. We can be a lawyer. We can be a doctor. We can be a nurse. We can be whatever you've called us to be. But really, may you actually be the center of it all. That we actually put you first in all of our plans. That you're the first plan of the day. When, when we wake up with thoughts of anything else, that immediately we would begin the day with you instead of the other things. That the internet would not come first, but you would come first, Heavenly Father. And that as we do these things, as we begin to put off the old man, that we would be changed in the spirit of our minds. That we would be put on the new man. And that we would learn the truth as it is in Jesus. This is not just some psychology experiment. This is divine. That you have made the human mind. And that as you change it, you don't just change it just based on science. You have supernatural power to come in and change our hearts and our minds. We need your Holy Spirit to change us. We're pleading for this. In the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.